Analix 2.14. The master said, Dunza, associating openly with others, are not biased. Petty persons are biased and do not associate openly with others. This is a kind of a hard uh, passage to translate, um, especially this part about associating openly with others. Another way to look at it is uh, uh, Junza are broad or Junza are generous or liberal. Um, so I'll just explain what really Confucius is talking about here. Uh, think about this in terms of political association. Uh, if you pay any attention to politics, you'll know there's a large degree of hypocrisy regarding how certain legislators, if not um, not certain, but most most legislators will vote, and um, not only vote, but what size they take. Uh, on issues and what words they use. But basically, people will side with their political party. People will side with their political party. And that's what the petty person does. The petty person sides with their group association. So Republicans will side with Republicans, and Democrats will side with Democrats. Conservatives will side with other conservatives and liberals will side with other liberals, not on the basis of what they believe to be true, but rather on the basis that their friends, their group members, their party, their faction is doing this or is advancing this. The most clear example or easy, most common example of this would be that of family and anything related to family. So parents are readily are, are ready to excuse the misbehavior of their children, even though if it's somebody else doing that, they'll get very upset. Parents uh, do this a lot, unfortunately, these days. And <clears throat> you can also think about uh, race, actually, as a kind of extension of uh, family, uh, in a sense. It's think about it this way: you have your, you have your, uh, you have your immediate family, and then you have your extended family with your cousins, and even second cousins. You share this last name. And you want to generally look favorably on them, unless you know they really make you mad, um, which is how some people, uh, I suppose, lose touch with their um, with their cousins. Um, although these days, really, it's it's because uh, it's not because there's some sort of great anger between uh, two cousins. It's really because you're physically spread apart, and so it's difficult for persons to keep in touch with each other. And that happens, unfortunately, a lot. So when we're thinking about 
race, it is a kind of extended version of extended family. So people who are, for example, uh, Japanese, they want to see themselves in a better light uh, and they'll make more excuses for people who are Japanese, even though if there's somebody of a different race who does the same thing, then they are going to be more likely to be critical. And this is something that simply comes naturally. Um, Jap being Japanese, of course, is not uh, um, unique, or rather, uh, there's a difference between race and ethnicity uh, that maybe is not worth getting to right now. But, uh, you know, being Japanese is not typically considered being um, a race. So whether you're talking about ethnicity or, or race, if you're talking about, say, Asians in general, uh, there still tends to be um, a more willingness to excuse certain behaviors um, if they are committed by somebody who is of the same ethnicity or the same race than if he is um, of a different race or ethnicity. And because uh, this is actually pretty difficult to get rid of 100%, you know, I think people are can be pretty good at getting rid of maybe uh, this dynamic 50% uh, or even 70%. But it's, I think, very difficult to completely get rid of this kind of bias. It's very difficult to do that. And, and so th that's what explain a lot of what we see out there. Um, but Going back to the family, people like to excuse what family members do and not think about these things objectively. And of course, this goes to um, biases of any kind of group. Now, the Junzi, the Junzi is somebody who is does not act on bias. So, the Junza is going to judge people on their personal virtue as individuals. Now you might ask, well, what about filiality? What about Shao? What about this idea that a person should love his family the most, and then there are different gradations of connection beyond that? So if somebody is a stranger to you, you should not honor that stranger or love that stranger as much as you do your parents or your children or your spouse. Because Confucian scholars are against the ideas of Mozi, who says that you should love everybody universally and equally. So you should not have special affection for your father, mother, or your children. You should treat the stranger just as well and feel for the stranger just as well. So this is a very interesting philosophical 
discussion. And if you're interested in this into depth, you can go for go look at the lectures on Mencius, particularly. But there's two things to say very quickly about why this will not be a good direction to take. Number one is that you actually cannot do this. You cannot actually love the stranger as much and as well as your family. You would have to force these emotions, but you don't really have control over emotions like this. It's no easier than to say, I'll never be stressed out again in my whole life. And I'm going to decide that and it's going to be this way. You can say that to yourself, but it's not going to actually happen. Nobody has that much control over their emotions. Buddhist monks try to attain to this level, but even among them, most of them are not going to succeed, not in this lifetime. And that's also why they need to live the monastic lifestyle. They need to separate themselves away from society. They need to be celibate. They can't raise a family. They have to have this very strict routine of meditation and eating and the bare necessity of labor. They need to have these things in order to essentially rewire their brain to not be influenced by their emotions. They need this whole space, which is kind of interesting because from a Confucian perspective, if you're going to alter your environment this much, why not simply alter your environment to be happy rather than trying to eliminate emotions or at least emotional sway over your, um, I'm not even sure what to call it really because I'm not sure it's possible to really eliminate emotions. Um, the emotions influences over yourself without simply getting rid of emotions at all, completely. In other words, you can't feel happy. You can't feel sad, but you can't feel happy either. So from the Confucian perspective, it simply makes more sense too if you can adjust your environment, including the people around you, because monks do not typically live by themselves. They live in a community with other monks. So if you're able to do that, why not simply create a community that is actually capable of getting along, but can still have family and can still have happiness? Why not do that? And that's, in, this, in, in one sense, uh, Confucian scholars do live that kind of life. Confucian scholars live rather simply, but they also have families. They also have friendships and they delight in the higher things as opposed to petty persons who delight in lesser things, but they don't delight for very long because those are external things and the, the reality about external things is that 
they are fleeting. In other words, they don't last. They can be taken away from you by somebody else, or they can be used up like food. And your enjoyment of them is also pretty temporary. So the first time you eat something really delicious is great, but then let's say you have this every week, it's not as delicious anymore. So the first few times, it's great, it's wonderful. This is true for uh, action movies, for food, uh, for video games, but then you start to get bored of it. And that's what external, the enjoyment of external things are like. You start to get bored of it. So they don't last. So people who prioritize petty things are not as happy as those who prioritize the loftier things. Virtue, human relations. Those enjoyments are more profound, they're more deep, and they last your entire life. But let's, let's return back to this uh, question about if we're going to be truly objective, why do we spend more time with our family? Why do we work for our family but not the homeless people on the streets and so forth. So the first reason, again, is that you cannot actually emotionally get yourself to do these things. You're never going to love the person you only met for a day as much as the people who, whom you've had relationships with for your whole life, who are trustworthy and love you back and you've had all these memories with them and you've struggled through difficult times with them and you've had a lot of fun with them and so forth. It's also part of our biology. There are hormones that really do control how you feel about people. And these familial relationships are forged together at the very beginning through the actions of these hormones. So when husband and wife first consummate their marriage, then the hormones come out. When a woman becomes pregnant with her children, another set of hormones come out. And so even at the very beginning of these relations, you have very strong emotional bonds and connections. So it is simply not possible to overcome this kind of bias. So when we're talking about not thinking about your family members objectively, this means to be able to raise your children objectively. So you don't spoil your children by never saying, don't do that, don't bother the neighbors, don't walk on their lawns or play on their lawns, don't plast loud music. The way that you are objective is through morally assessing whether they are being good or not. And that goes the same for everybody else in your family. You want to be objective and morally assessing them. 
But the love and the effort you put towards that relationship, that can be on the basis of family versus non-family. So that's how that would work. The, the other aspect of this is that it's very impractical to love the stranger over the people you've known all your life. Because you don't know if you can trust the stranger. You don't know if the stranger is a bad person. You don't know if the stranger will take advantage of you. Whereas the people you have known for a long time, you have a better sense of whether they are trustworthy, whether they are loyal, whether they are good persons overall. And therefore you can act accordingly. So even from a utilitarian perspective, it does not make sense to treat everybody equally and try to love everybody equally. One kind of tidbit that I think is interesting is somebody might say, uh, well, what about this idea of loving your neighbor? Isn't this a good idea? Uh, when this phrase was coined, loving your neighbor, this was back in the past. And remember, back in the past, people did not move around so much and you usually lived with your extended family. So uh, loving your neighbor would really simply mostly mean loving the people in your family or at least the people you've basically known all your life. So it's a very different thing than living in the city today where your neighbors just kind of move in and out from year to year or decade to decade. So that's something to understand about this idea of loving your neighbor is that it's as yourself is that it's, it's a little bit different. Another way to look at that is simply to be objective with the standards that you judge other people, your neighbors, you should also judge yourself. But in any case, the reality is that you will make just naturally love your family more intensely than anybody else because it's in your biology, it's in your nature, and it is simply how human beings work. Let's talk about another way to understand this um, 2.14. Uh, you could also interpret this as a way to educate yourself. So rather than talking about associating with people, um, the Junza is broadly learned. He understands the principles of the Tao, uh, whereas the petty person is the other way around. He gets he is uh, he gets stuck in trivialities, details, um, minor facts, and this is something that is this idea at least is reflected in the Shunza because Shunza talks about. Um, you know, some a petty way to to study is to put history and memorizing poetry and and being acquainted with literature before the larger principles or the larger uh, you can say ideas, I suppose. But ideas and principles are not a great translation. But Ren, Yi, and Li are more important than the details we find in the documents, the Book of History, 
or in the book of songs, which is poetry and song lyrics. So that's the other way to understand this. In summary, you as a person should not be, you should look out for yourself uh, and your biases. So if somebody says something and you like them, it doesn't mean what they say is true or right or correct. And people, again, as I've said, they do this all the time in the, in the political realm where they have their favorite or their favored political party and they have this other party that they despise. And so anytime somebody says something from one of these parties, they think with their emotions first, their biases first, and then they interpret what's said on that basis. Now, most people are like this, and most people indeed are petty persons. So this is yet another reason why you have so much chaos when everybody opines with their political opinions, everybody's in a rush to declare that such and such politicians is right and such and such politicians wrong. So overall, you want to look out for your biases, whether this happens in the political realm, with your, within your family, um, and you want to be more objective in judging others.